Hey folks and welcome to another episode of PodCraft. This is the show all about podcasting, from launching a show to monetization and everything in between. I'm Colin Gray, your host as always, and this time around it's an interview show. Uh, we're in between seasons right now. If you haven't listened to season 10, our most recent season, that was all about getting your first episode out into the world. So pop back and listen to that. If you're beyond that, obviously, uh, well, I'll mention the fact that we've got Alitu out now. So Alitu is our podcast maker app. So if you're already producing your show uh, or even your just launching, you want some help with the technical side, you can upload your audio to your raw audio to Alitu and we'll help you add your theme music, we'll help you process it, make it sound good, polish it all up, join together a bunch of different uh, different clips uh, and then publish it to your host of choice as well. So if you want to check that out, go over to alitu.com, that's A-L-I-T-U.com and you can check it out there, a seven day free trial. All right, but on to this episode's topic this episode, I'm talking to somebody who I found years back through a book that I came across, which uh, appealed to me partly because it was about story. I was looking into how to make good stories a bit more deeply. I was I was interested in how to put together a good story, how to source a good story from interviewees, as well as my own life. And I came across a book by Jessica Abel. Now, it's called Out on the Wire. Um, and it partly appealed to me because of that story aspect, but partly because it's a comic. <laughs> it's a graphic novel. It's written as a graphic novel. So um, it just you open it up, it's all the panels in there, speech bubbles and everything. It just it looks really good. Um, but it still tells the story of essentially grabbing stories in audio form. So Jessica writes about... Um, a kind of a quest she went going into public radio through This American Life, through The Moth, through loads of different storytelling podcasts and talking to some of the biggest hosts in the game, some of the biggest podcasters out there on how they source stories for their podcasts, how they prepare for interviews, how they run an interview to to get the best out of those interviewees and then how they put the show together afterwards so how they actually structure the show how they edit it up use sound to sculpt it and all that kind of stuff and Jessica's book covers all of that so Out of the Wire covers everything from preparation right through to production and I wanted to get Jessica on to talk through some of her ideas around how to capture good stories. Now we started with something she calls the uh, the focus sentence. Now the focus sentence made a lot of sense to me because I've heard lots of story structures over the years from the hero's journey to you know various other things. And the focus sentence just seemed to break it down for me. Now the focus sentence goes like this. It goes, someone does something because of this, but that. So you replace obviously the someone with whoever it is, the something with something they did, the because something, <laughs> why they did it, and the but, which is really the kind of the the big twist, or not a twist as such, but the 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 reason it matters, I guess, something that happened that makes it more interesting. And we'll jump right into the interview where Jessica started talking about an example. So we started talking about the focus question and she started to give an example of um, somebody she worked with in the past that used that focus question um, uh, to when interviewing uh, a young man and a story around his father. So I'll let Jessica take it away from there. He's um, an adult man, you know, probably in his 40s or 50s, um, who's gay. And he'd had a very difficult relationship with his father up because his father had not accepted that, had been very, you know, um, distant, had left the family, various other kinds of things like that. But at some point, as an adult, his father um, started helping him 
rebuild old houses. And through the sort of quiet labor of, you know, re-shingling houses or, you know, doing plumbing or whatever, um, they had rebuilt their relationship. And his father later died of cancer and um, they'd been able to rebuild a relationship, you know, sort of through this shared labor and shared passion. And, okay, so it's, you know, he's a little bit afraid it's going to be a little bit too syrupy and sappy, right? But on the other hand, he's like, okay, this is a good story. And I, I, you know, I really am passionate about this. I want to tell the story of how I was able to rebuild this relationship with my father. And we went through the focus sentence and, you know, this is a large adult man, fully bearded, you know, (laughs) middle-aged, and he burst into tears, actually, because he realized through doing the focus sentence that he was not the protagonist, that his father was the protagonist, because his father was the one who had taken action. You know, he'd said, like, he called his father for advice on, like, how to roof a building or something. His father's like, I'm going to come and do this with you. And he'd call every few weeks and be like, I'm going to come help you with blah, 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 and just silently come to kind of just work together. And his father had been the one to take action to repair this relationship. And it just turned everything upside down for him. It made the story completely new. And that was thinking through just through that focus sentence that made him realize that. Yeah. I mean, how do you, so you've got your sentence there. You can, you can obviously put the, you can fill in the gaps there in many different ways and many different situations. Where do you go to then decide you've got your sentence to decide whether this is a story that is appealing, is interesting, is worth telling? Well, the second structure that I learned, um, this one from Alex Bloomberg, now of Gimlet Media, um, but at the time of Planet Money, um, is the uh, what he calls the XY story formula. And um, another one that at first came across to me as almost too simple to be helpful, <laughs> um, but it actually has ended up being the most powerful of the story structures that I've been using, um, which is I'm doing a story about X. And what's interesting about it or surprising or unusual or, you know, fill in the adjective there is why. So it's like a, an algebraic formula. And, um, you know, the focus sentence depends for its functioning to function. Well, you have to have a character based story and plenty of stories are not character based. And even ones that are character based, I mean, like the one I just told you about the man and his father, that could be told in a way that was not interesting. You know, it's like, oh, isn't that nice for you, honey? You know, there's not a, not a real spark there, right? Yes. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, um, the XY story formula will tell you, will help you understand if there's something, if there's a hook to the story that's really going to be interesting to your audience. And so what it does is it turns around your own interest in the story and makes you focus on the listener, makes you focus on the the person who's going to be receiving this story. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, not to you, to the audience. That's the key. That the X, the the Y of the formula is what's interesting to people, other people, mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. you want to reach. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's really easy to say, you know, for the for the example I already gave you, like this man could have said, like, and what's interesting about it is that I was able to rebuild my relationship with my father and I felt really, I felt whole and sort of, you know, like I had resolved this part of my life, which it's going to be interesting to a certain segment of people, um, but it may not be the XY story formula that he wants to go with. He may want to think, you know, talk about how, um, you know, what's interesting about it is that silence is 
the key to, you know, silently being present with each other is the key to building relationships. Like that could be something that really um, makes the story something different than you've heard before. Yeah, yeah. So it really makes you, it forces you to really narrow down that really individual unique hook, doesn't it? Because like you say, many stories could have a ton of outcomes, uh, some uh, various interesting parts. And I, I find often when you hear a story that doesn't work, it's possible because there's too much. Too many. They're yes. trying to achieve too much. They're not. Yes, very much like the widely spread um, focus in the story, where you don't really decide what it is you want to talk about. You yeah. don't. You haven't made the decision that you need to be making about yeah. what's important in the story. Yes, um, yeah. that is very much a, a common problem. And, but the other thing is that often people make stories. They choose interview subjects. They do podcast episodes based on what they think is interesting. Um, and they just dive into that and they um, fail to think about the listener and what's going to yeah. happen for the listener and what's going to matter for them. Yeah. And I mean, the, th- the thing that I thought, you know, when I read Out in the Wire, I, an amazing book, brilliantly written, some great examples in there. Um, and I almost felt a little bit um, separated from it at first when I start seeing, you know, this American life stories and all that. So there's these stories that are told in such an intricate way over um, hours and hours of reporting. But I think the way you've just described those, both the XY story formula and the focus sentence, that applies to even just like telling a two minute ad hoc um, off the cuff story to your friends in the pub, doesn't it? You have to, you mm-hmm. have to realise what uh, what happened and why it's interesting. Like you can't just tell, say, I, I walked to the shop and I got my shopping today and that was the story. You have to you know why it's interesting and think about mm-hmm. that. And I think that helps us figure out why that applies to even smaller shows, smaller shows that have less production time. It's it's about finding that story and the interesting hook, the uniqueness to it, I guess. Right. Why this guest? Why now? Like yeah. What? How is that going to actually um, help build the overall thesis of your show yeah, yeah you know and i mean if you if you have to end the story and go oh i guess you had to be there then you know you didn't find it you know <laughs> yes like but it, <laughs> this, absolutely i use xy story formula for for an email mm-hmm. for a for a blog post for mm-hmm. um certainly for my podcast episodes about on the wire i mean often when i was most stuck when i was trying to because they're fully scripted or like the core episodes of my show are fully scripted and so i would have to write these like you know thousand word scripts or whatever yeah and um with one in particular i was just ultra blocked i just couldn't i had a bunch of things i wanted to put in there but i I just couldn't get them to come together and i had um a focus session meeting with my producer ben benjamin frisch and he said well what's the xy story formula you know what's your xy for this and I was like, oh man, I have no idea. Like, why am I, what's the point of this? I know there's a point, but what is it? You know, I was just kind of like skimming the surface and, and, you know, picking up little bits and pieces of stuff that I knew was interesting, yeah. but it didn't have that, that core. And like you're saying, there were too many different directions it could go in, yeah. you know, too, too many different things I wanted to say. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, so thinking about those stories and the, and the sort of, um, smaller type shows that people put every every single week coming up with stories for a solo show or a co-hosted show do you do you have ways that you record stories or do you, are you a collector of stories in your own life and you know around you it's an interesting question um 
I don't have an ongoing show. And so I don't have that need to collect stories in that way regularly. Mm-hmm. You know, my show was a season. I might again do a show sometime, but you know, it's not something we plan. Um, you know, on the other hand, um, in my work as a teacher and coach, I'm collecting stories all the time and mm-hmm. I'm collecting examples of how people have implemented various kinds of changes in their lives and helped, you know, so they can help other people understand that. Um, and I have a super long history of being a teacher of narrative in general because I'm a cartoonist and I've taught comics and um, graphic narrative, you know, for 20 years now. So constantly processing stories and thinking about other people's stories. Um, of course, I write my own, but I don't think I'm really a collector in that way of like, Somebody says something to me and I'm like, you know, I sort of pick that up and add yeah. it to my pile. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard people talk in that way about stories before, especially speakers, I find actually, in that, you know, a, a great way to deliver a talk is to include a, a few stories that show some great examples. And um, often it can be stories out of your own life, just really simple things that happen that you can bring a good example out of just by finding that, um, that why, that why is interesting to people. Um, so I'm always interested to know how people log them. Like if you have an idea that comes up, whether you put them in a certain place, whether you log them in a certain way, that type of stuff. So, but I do, yeah, I've definitely felt the lack of that. Like I need really. to figure out a system for that, have yeah. some place where I can sort of say, here's my sort of stock of anecdotes about, yes. cause I use my own life plenty to, yeah. to help teach things. Yeah. And I yeah. do have that stock of stories, but they're kind of just in my head, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, or I've written them someplace and I can go find where I've written them, but they're not, yeah. you know, cataloged in any way. Well, maybe that's why then, cause I'm, I'm not very good at that. My memory is not a, uh, not very quick access. I would say <laughs> I tend not to be able to access stories that quickly. So I've found myself having to try and log them a little bit so that they kind of cement in my mind and have them to hand or when I'm creating a talk or something like that. So yeah, it's interesting. I suppose some people are better at that access than others. <laughs> Um, do you use, I'm kind of curious about, you've mentioned those structures and I remember from the book as well, there's a lot of other classic story structures like the, you know, the hero's journey and stuff like that. Do you, do you tend to find any others useful or do you stick just to these quite simple formulas, but effective ones that you have in the book? Uh, mostly I stick to the simple ones because they're flexible mm-hmm. because they don't nail you down to one thing. And the hero's journey, I think is a very useful structure in some ways, but there's a lot of weird quirks to it that if you really try to apply those things every time it becomes very rote yeah. and, and can just be really like, do you really need like Obi-Wan Kenobi to show up every time? <laughs> like, do you have to have an old guy? Really? Like there has to be an old guy. I don't, I don't really buy that. You know, I think you do have to get wisdom from someplace, but um, trying to sort of force those kinds of structures open feels like more work than it needs to yeah, be, yeah. you know? Um, but what I do do is I, I nest the simpler structures so that within a given scene or chapter of something, there's an X, Y. Mm-hmm. There's also, if it's a character-based work, there's also a focus sentence for that piece. Okay. So, so you you can have these kind of mini versions and then they they attach they they fit into the overall picture. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you've got a you've got a an XY formula for the overall piece, the whole half hour show, but actually there's quite a few little XYs in there for particular examples, that type of thing. Is that what you mean? Yeah, basically. Yeah, each little anecdote has its own structure to it yeah, and yeah. has does have its own narrative structure. Yeah. Perfect. Um, you know, and there's another structure that I've invented myself that it combines elements of the focus sentence and 
uh, the XY story formula and also this, this other sort of off the cuff structure that Soren Wheeler of Radiolab came up with, which I call the Soren. Um, and the, the, which is all in the show. If anybody's interested in more of that, it's like all in that, that episode of the out on the wire podcast. But the, um, the one I came up with, I call the, um, the story matrix and, um, can I do it off the top of my head? I don't even know if I can. It's a little <laughs> bit longer, but essentially it's, um, somebody's doing something for some good reason. Um, but then this happens. So you have your inciting incident. Um, and so the person does this, therefore this, and thus this. And finally, you wouldn't believe it, but this. Mm-hmm. And why that matters to everyone on Walking in the Face of the Earth or your target audience is this. So you have kind of all the, the bits in there. Mm. You have escalation. So you have individual incidents that build on one another as they sort of like are interconnected and everything builds on the previous point, like they're, they're not things that can float free, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have the final climax of the story, which is the thing that resolves the initial um, obstacle and motivation of the protagonist. And then you have the, the framing of the story. Why is this important? That's the X, Y part. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. That sounds good. So it's, it's like a, yeah, a written version of that structure. Um, what do you, do you remember what that's called? That, the sort of the one that includes the inciting incident and stuff like that is that does that have a name i mean people call it different things i call that i have a version of that that i just call the narrative arc right Um, okay yeah 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 i've just i've heard that before somewhere so i wondered if it was a a technical yeah i mean i'm using the term inciting incident just because people have heard it but it's like whatever the thing is that um makes the the protagonist start taking action yeah exactly Um, which is not necessarily the butt of the the um focus sentence because that's going to be a more core over like the inciting incident going to be just be a, some small thing yeah. that happens. Yeah. But the, the, but of the focus sentence is something like really vastly motivating. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Right. Let's jump on to actually putting this into action then going to the, the interview. So a, a big proportion of the people listening to this show will be running interview podcasts. Um, and there, and that's a big part of your book as well, in terms of how to capture good material. I love the title of it. It's, um, somewhere around hot breath or something, isn't it? Like getting that into the microphone. It's hearing the, the emotion. <laughs> um, what, how do you start to plan out an interview with that story in mind? Once Do you have your sentences, your X, Y in mind at first, and then you plan out the questions based around that to try and draw it out? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you start <laughs> with answer, a, yes. um, what Ira Glass would call a hypothesis. Mm-hmm of the story and and you work out what you think the focus sentence ex-wife story formula of your story is going to be and this is in an interview you're thinking like i mean let's let's get grab an example somebody you know who listens to the show what kind of show do they do you don't have to name names but like what type of interview would they do let's let's just start with an example mm-hmm. you have one what is sorry what type of interview do i do it would no, be like uh if you can think of like one of your listeners oh who, i see like yeah. the type of interview they might do yeah well uh we have a fair few uh sports and fitness shows so uh, maybe uh a mountain biker interviewing uh you know a, a champion that's just won the, the mountain bike world cup for example right so um the story of sports is often a story of overcoming obstacles to um, reaching the top of their field, right? So what did this mountain biker have to overcome in mm-hmm. order to win their World Cup? 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they didn't really have to overcome anything, you can have a bunch of sort of interesting chit chat about tech, you know, and equipment, but you're not going to get a lot of really interesting stuff out of this person unless they had to really overcome long odds. And those are the great sports stories, right? Overcoming long yeah, odds. Yeah. And if those long odds are weird, <laughs> like this person has no legs, you know, yeah, or yeah. there's something about, um, they had, uh, I don't know, what could we think of with a mountain biker? That would be a really odd thing that they'd have to overcome. You know, they, uh, they only had a unicycle in their youth. So they had to learn how to mountain bike on one wheel. Right, They did learn how to bike <laughs> on two wheels because they'd only learned on one wheel or like they lived on an Island that was so small that there was no place to like go, you know, yes. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't go over it. Whatever. Like, there's various kinds lap. of things that would be really interesting, <laughs> you know, and you have your XY story formula kind of set up mm-hmm. and you understand what those things are. And then um, once you have that, then you start thinking through, okay, well, how am I going to build this? Because it's going to be a live interview. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can edit a little bit afterwards, but you're really going to do stuff in order and you need mm-hmm. to basically capture what you need in order. So then you start thinking, okay, what are the questions I really need answered by this person in order to get that sense of climax in the story. Like how can I build this up without, you know, listeners who've never heard of this guy or don't know this story. Like I want them to be surprised. I want them to be really, you know, I want, I'm tease the hook at the beginning, but then we're not going to talk about it. And then I'm going to bring it up here. How, you know, and you, you actually draft questions, not your standard, like, well, where'd you grow up? Who was your coach? You know, like you don't have a standard list of questions like that. I mean, they might be, those might be directions to go in, but, um, you know, trying to think about how you pull this out of this person and especially try to get to the emotional core of it. So not just like, yeah, well, you know, we're drawing, you know, rolling on one wheel is just like what we did and that's it. Now we, now I learned too. Yay. You know, there's no, like, there's no drama there. So what did it feel like the first time he saw a two wheeled bike and he thought, oh man, I cannot, you know, he, or maybe he went from tricycles. He didn't know how to ride like a bike, right? You know, he had a tri- like a big adult-sized tricycle always, yeah. and he had, didn't know how to balance on a bike. And like all of a sudden, he realized he's going to fall over and look like an idiot, even though he's super fast on a trike. Like, what did that feel like? How did that, you know, what the, what's the emotional uh, transition that he had to go through? How did he build the courage that he needed in order to put himself out there and find the coach who's going to help him be the person that he is now. And how did that, you know, how did that coach challenge him and what, you know, those are the kinds of questions that are going to really produce strong emotional material. That's going to make the interview super compelling. Um, I'm sure you've listened to Mark Marin before. Yes, indeed. I mean, he's a great example of this because I'm sure like he does tons of research for his interviews. He's mm-hmm. read the books, listened to the records, like he does the stuff. Um, he prepares, but he also knows how to, when he gets to an emotional moment, just like dig in there and like, <laughs> yeah, stay, just stay, you know, uh, and learning techniques, like listening to how Mark Myron does stuff, learning techniques, like silence, letting the next thing happen, you know, not finishing people's sentences for them, let them have space. And if they're in that moment where they're like, you're asking them an awkward question, they kind of answer it in a super basic way. Just don't say anything. Just wait. Just see what they say next when they would try to fill that space. You know, various kinds of ways to build your ability to truly deeply listen, but also identify when you're going to, when you're on something great and go deeper. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what do you say to the people that argue, and I've heard way more than I can count, that argue that they don't prepare for interviews very much because they like to be in the position of the listener. They like to be ignorant so that they can be asked the same uh, you know, questions that the listener might ask. Oh, I think that's just cheating. <laughs> I mean, because I think that you can you you should be able to feel surprise mm-hmm. at the way people answer things for you. Yeah. You know, you should know where you want to go, and you should know there's certain. You should also be open to whatever surprises come up, and if you're prepared, there will be surprises. If you're not prepared, you're just going to ask your standard list of questions and not know what to do when they say something interesting. I love that. Yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it because I, I I'm the same. I think it's just lazy, and and I'm always surprised at the people that do say that. Um, but that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, you you do your preparation. You have to find the good stories first. Otherwise, you spend twenty minutes casting around, not getting anywhere before you find anywhere. And even if you if you ever do get somewhere interesting, so so would you recommend then that people? Do so. There's a, there's an argument sometimes around doing a pre call or not. So get on the phone with somebody for 10, 15 minutes before an interview and actually say, "This is what we're going to talk about. What do you want to talk about? Do you have any good stories that you want to say?" That kind of thing. Um, I think you can do a pre interview as long as you're super careful about it. And you know, it depends on the person because sometimes you don't need that. You like you have they're, if they're well known enough, you'll be able to just go to their Wikipedia page and get what you need, and like you can read their book and you can put together your what you need there. But if you are, especially if you're trying to go for a, a really unusual, interesting interview, um, even with famous people, you may want to do a little bit of a pre-interview where you lay out and you sort of ask them something about their path, you know, how they've gotten where they are. Mm-hmm. But you don't want them to tell you any details about it. You want no details. You want just, <laughs> I did this, and then I did this, and then I did that. Oh, no, oh anyway, that's where I met so-and-so. No, wait, 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 wait. Hold on to that. So-and-so, great. Let's move on. Then this. Okay, so fine. So you have like your stages, your your chronological story that you want to tell. You have it yeah. laid out as a sort of map for yourself so you can ask those questions. You don't want to, you don't want any anecdotes in the pre-interview. You don't want to waste any of that surprise and energy that you're going to get. I mean, that's how you get surprised, really, is like knowing what kind of questions you want to ask, but then not knowing what answers you're going to get exactly. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So you know you know the milestones, essentially. You know where you're going. The signpost is pointing the right way, but you don't actually know what it looks like when you get there. So you can still Right, like that. to go back to this mountain biking example, yeah. it's like, okay, well, you have this milepost you need to hit because you want to tell the story of how this person overcame these odds, right? So you have to tell the early life. What was the moment when he realized he needed to change something and go somewhere else, you know, and get different kinds of training, how did, he, how did he get himself in with the best people, even though it was like really hard to do? Um, and then what were those early setbacks? What were his early successes? And then what was it like to actually, you know, win this, knowing this whole history, you know, which now the listener will also know, and they're going to feel it much more emotionally. But if you know all those points and you know the basic outline of the story, you know, the basic outline of the names of the people, you can ask the names of the people, you can ask, well, how this, I heard this happened, but that seems really weird to me. How did that, how did you manage that? How'd you yeah, pull that off? Yeah. You know, and you can, and dive in deeper because you know where you're going. Yeah. I think too, it's important not to write out your questions as full sentences for yourself and then read them, <laughs> but make notes for yourself of like, what are the things you want to talk about? You know, so you have kind of lists of like a person's name and a question mark. So you can phrase it in a natural way, but you know, you need to ask about that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a really good guide 
to doing it. It's it's just enough preparation that you're you're definitely feeling confident going in. You know where you're going, but you're not spoiling the surprise. That's great. I mean, the other thing I was going to ask you about actually was how to get people off the usual sound bites, but that's exactly how you can go about it, isn't it? I mean, that's the trouble we often have is the first 10 minutes of any interview show is the same old bio, the same old um, quick intro story that people have given numerous times on other podcasts. But if you have that little bit of preparation, you find that unusual story, just as, as you've described there, that is the way to bypass that. You can do that a little five, well, a little 30 second, one minute intro that tells that very quick sound by bypasses that and goes straight into the interesting stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like you can, you can tell people to, you know, you can cut people off. Like yeah. if they're being boring, you can stop them. Like you're allowed to do that. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. I, th- I think not enough people do that actually is take ownership over their show and actually say, well, this is my mm-hmm. show and uh, I don't think this is interesting. And you can do it in a nice way, can't you? you say, oh yeah. I mean, you don't have to insult people and be <laughs> yes. like, okay, well that's great. But yeah. what I really want to do is talk about this. Yes. I'm super interested in how this happened. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I don't want to make sure we have enough time to cover this part yeah. that's yeah i know my yeah. listeners are super interested in absolutely yeah you say my i know my audience really well and i think they would really enjoy this aspect of what you're saying that type of thing mm-hmm. yeah. and i think too with interview shows it's really important to commit to a minimum of editing you don't mm-hmm. have to do much but you have to be ready to have a moment where the person's like oh well, and you're going to cut that out you know yeah. you can tell yeah. them ahead of time like okay if you stumble like it's fine and so yeah. then it really takes the level of pressure down on people yeah um i think some people just take the interview and they just stick an intro on it and put it out and it's like there's there can be whole chunks of this interview that are red herrings you know that are just stuff that you know uh it's it doesn't i don't think it takes a massive amount of time Mm -hmm. to cut out some of the really just dull stuff and make the the podcast something much more compelling and and interesting for the listener yeah i totally agree and and that's a good segue because that's what i was going to ask about next actually in terms of a lot of podcasts these days a lot of interview shows in particular are exactly as you say they're just do a 20 minute interview you stick it out in the in the world or even worse you do a two-hour interview and stick the whole thing oh, yeah. out into the world um how do you go about that process you've just described so cutting out the fat finding the highlights so that is that literally just listening through and finding your own interest? Or do you think there's more structured ways to go about that? Well, it's the XY. What, what lines up with the XY that you want to uh, use for your episode? You know, so you have your hypothesis of what you think it's going to be. Then you have your interview and it's shocking. You know, like you didn't, under, you didn't know this thing or you didn't understand this thing. That becomes your XY. Right, that becomes the thing, and then all everything you choose gets centered around that, that X Y. Yeah, I'm talking and about um, that often yeah. there's stuff that you know. And th- there's a minimum of editing that I think everybody should commit to of just mm-hmm. cutting out junk, you know. And every interview has junk, um, but then there's a next level that is again not that complicated, which is to think about like what are the sort of narrative pieces we covered, and how can I put them in an order that is that tells the story I want to tell. So like if you get a big reveal in the first five minutes and you really want that, but you didn't like set it up properly, take the setup, you know, put mm-hmm. it before the reveal. And, you know, it's not that hard to do. It's just like a big chunk, like reverse it around. It's not about, you know, editing out individual breaths or something like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Which I've done, but you <laughs> don't have to. Um, but the, um, yeah. So that, so what I would do, because I do the, the, the show I did is 
there are two types of episodes. There are fully scripted episodes where I was, you know, I wrote a full script for it and there was a, there was a very concrete piece of information I wanted to get across and, and um, uh, something about storytelling and then kind of a how-to piece and like a bunch of quotes that I pulled out of my research for my book and put those things all in there and we cut it together. We soundtracked the whole thing. And then I would have an interview usually at the end of it that was a, had been done as a live interview, but we cut it severely. So we'd just take a few, we'd, I'd do like a 45-minute interview and we'd have about 15 minutes of that at the end of this. Then <laughs> we had, um, because at the end of the episode, there was a challenge to, to try to use what I did in the episode. And then I had an online group where people were actually doing that. And then I would take examples of people's work and we would have a live workshop episode where I would discuss it with my producer and my husband, Matt, who's also a, a cartoonist and narrative artist. And we'd talk about those things live. So there's three different types of stuff that we did in the show, but the show was one season long, 17 episodes, I think. I think that's right. Um, and I haven't done it again. You know, I don't do this all the time. I mean, it was, it was like, it took over my life, obviously for like six months or something like that. Um, so when I'm talking about what do I do with this stuff this is what I did for that show, but it is parallel to, um, writing, a you know, writing up an interview in a case study or something like that. It's the same kind of thinking and work that you do whenever you have some kind of interview and that you really need to think about like, what is the point of this interview? I mean, I can interview former students for 45 minutes and have four quotes from them in a case study that I write up. Um, because what you need to do is filter all of that through your X, Y and a narrative structure. So it goes from this to this, to this, this is the, what happened before. Here's how everything changed for me. And here's the conclusion, you know, here's what happened afterwards in the case of a case study, for example, um, with the interviews that we did for out on the wire, we talked about all kinds of things. You know, I talked about their, um, their history, their work habits, their this, their that. And then, but there was something that was the reason I was talking to that person is that it was somehow related to the subject of the episode that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I pulled those pieces out and just edited those pieces together. Right. Okay. I mean, I didn't do the editing. In that case, yes. that was Ben. That was not me. But I did it on paper. Like I would do it on, you know, he would have the, we'd have the transcript and I'd like yeah. say, do this, this, and this. And he, yeah. we would talk about it and discuss it. Yeah. Well, that's a really good tip actually, because I find that um, that helped me hugely when I discovered that way of going about it. I, w I used to try and edit interviews by listening through 35, 45, um, 50 minutes, whatever it is. And that takes ages because it's hard to go back and catch the start of a, a good section or whatever. But if you have it in text form, so much easier to skim through, find those highlights, like pop back and forth among the text and try and find the right sections. Um, so we tend to get everything transcribed, even if it's just using something like one of the automated services, which don't cost very much. It's not that accurate, but it's good enough for for that mm -hmm. type of editing, I find. Is that is that how yeah. you go about it as well? Yeah, I mean, we had some, uh, I think at the time there were not as, the automated systems were not as good as they are now. And we didn't use that generally, but we would do we would log, we would, you know, uh, Ben would listen and log the tape. So he'd be writing sort of short versions of each kind of statement that people would make. Yeah. Yeah. And then we would have that to go through and cut. And so we could do things like highlighting stuff like this is a great part, or we put a, a comment on it and be like, this is the, this needs to be the lead. This is the part that goes to the top. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you know, people often, and you'll notice this if you listen through your own interviews, things will come up multiple times. 
you know, the same topic will come up, you know, in different places. And a lot of times it makes sense to pull those pieces together, you know, that you take out the stuff in between and you put those three times you talked about it together. Maybe you said it different, slightly different ways. Maybe one of those ways is really better than another way. So you cut out the first time and you put the second time in. Like those are the kinds of things you can do with a little bit more thoughtful editing. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think makes a difference, and you talk about this in your book as well, there's a whole section on it, I think, is sound. So adding uh, even a touch of music or a couple of effects or something like that. How how do you think about when and where to add sound? Uh, it's complex. And I, again, I worked with a talented producer who did a lot of the thinking about this. But um, the sort of general uh, thing that I learned from from the interviews that I did with you know, the great producers like, you know, like Glenn Washington or whatever, um, Mark Ristich are like, and you want to use sound to create units, sort of blocks of information that people can absorb. Um, and there's sort of different numbers floating around out there, but somewhere between 40 seconds and a minute and a half is kind of like a, a, a chunk, a piece, a, a beat of the story. And um, maybe there's music running behind that and you fade it out at the end of that, or maybe you, you know, fade music in at the end of that. Um, but you use music to punctuate. Um, you want, when somebody says like the most important thing, you want to have no music behind that. So you have that, you know, you have that, if you're using music to soundtrack in general, you put that in the clear. Um, you could also, if you're using it in a much more minimal way, you could do things like have Say you talked about, you know, three different main topics during an interview, you cut them together. So they're sort of together. You have those chunks kind of like um, unified and you could use music to transition between, you know, you could even have narration where it's like, you know, later we talked about this topic transition, you know, have a little music transition to the next thing. A lot of people use ads that have music. So you can actually think about it the same way you would think about where you place an ad, you know, that, that you can use the ads to separate stuff, but you can also use your own music to separate stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can tail in and out of ads with your own music too. Yeah. That's an interesting way to think about it. The punctuation. Um, I've never heard it said like that. And, and also I think the opposite to what many people think in saying that the highlight is in the clear, because you mm-hmm. would think putting music in is what makes it dramatic or more emotional or whatever, but, but it makes it more clear. It, make, it makes things stand out when it's silence. Right. If you're using music as a soundtrack. In general. Because yes. if you're not, then, you know, but, but regardless, you, you don't want to have, you don't want to have that moment confused. You want people to be focusing on the thing, but yeah. it, what you want is in order to make something super dramatic and really play up the drama, you would have a soundtrack and it would rise and it'd be like yeah. this, you know, this big moment of music and then boom, dry. Yeah. Yeah. If if you could say to people just just one little thing they can do with you know a bit of music or an effect or something just once an episode because it's they've got little time to edit what would you is the, is there a sort of simplest way to add the most polish? I mean, I think having your own theme music that you use consistently mm-hmm. um, and knowing how to fade that in and out, I think is maybe the most basic thing to do. But I also think I would I would suggest to people to be a little playful with it actually. And not so much about adding polish and looking awesome, but like to something, somebody say, I mean, think about like how talk radio uses sound and they'll have like, you know, sound effects, weird sound effects show up. Yeah. Like that's a fun thing to do, (laughs) you know, or some little, um, 
you know, maybe there's some piece that you need to edit out, but there's no really good transition between those, between that and the next thing. So maybe you bring up your theme music again for a mm-hmm. second, then you bring it down again. Like you can do little things like that to sort of cover gaps. Um, I don't no. know. I mean, I'm not an expert in this for sure. It's, I've, I've been attentive to it, but it's not, yeah. you know, it's not my art. No, I think that's a great idea. And, it, and it's something that's actually quite easy to do sustainably too, in terms of having a, a little sound, sound cart app or, you know, something like the Spreaker recording app. So if you record your podcast in the Spreaker app, you can actually, you have buttons that press, that play sound effects and you can have your sort of comedy effects or your dramatic <laughs> effects that you can play in automatically. So you can save in the editing as well, I think. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it makes it fun as well. If you're if your guest can hear it and that kind of thing, you can often uh, you can have a bit of a laugh around it. Like you say, be uh-huh. playful. It's good fun. <laughs> okay, I think that was really good. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Jessica. So I think that's been brilliant. It's been gone through pretty much everything I wanted to know. Um, a great primer on how to capture stories, how to set people up for interviews, and uh, then how to do a bit of extra polish at the end to make sure they stand out. Um, if there's anything that people want to ask is there a place you are generally online that people can send you comments questions general praise uh, I mean I am on Twitter at mm-hmm. JCC Abel um, and I am I'm on Twitter Facebook all those places but I think the best place for people to go to find out more uh, would be my website which is jessicaable.com perfect and I'd encourage everyone listening uh, if you've enjoyed this um, go on and have a look at Jessica's book Out on the Wire which is on uh, any good bookstore it's on Amazon certainly um, and your podcast as well it's just called the Out on the Wire podcast isn't it Mm-hmm. Yes. So go and have a look at that. It's a, it's a great series. Nine, um, nine sort of produced episodes and nine workshop episodes, I believe, isn't it? Uh, it'll take you right through the story process. So go and check that out. All right. Thanks again, Jessica. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story expertise with us. And um, I hope you enjoy France while you're there, certainly. <laughs> the rest of your time there. And, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's yeah, been really great. No problem at all. And to the listener, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode.